This podcast contains adult themes and language. Listener discretion is advised. We have some breaking news to talk about on this episode of The Lawless Files. I had a completely different episode in the works when I found out that Mark Abbott had been indicted a few days ago. Yes, Mark Abbott has been indicted, but not for the murder of Michelle Lawless. He's been indicted for felon being in possession of a firearm. The indictment lacked details. I was only able to obtain the redacted copy, which is available to the public, and this is what it says. On or about March 22, 2022, in Cape Girardeau County, Missouri, within the Southeastern Division of the Eastern District of Missouri, Mark Thomas Abbott, the defendant herein, knowingly possessed a firearm, knowing he had previously been convicted in a count of law, one or more crimes punishable by a term of imprisonment exceeding one year, and the firearm previously traveled in international or interstate commerce during or prior to being in defendant's possession. In violation of Title 18, United States Code Section 922G1, and punishable under Title 18, United States Code Section 924A2. And that's it. That's the entirety of the indictment. I want to note here that no evidence has been presented to the public and that Abbott has rights to due process. I can't verify the validity of the charges here. I'm simply stating that a grand jury has indicted Mark Abbott. The indictment was signed by Tim J. Willis, Assistant United States Attorney. The maximum sentence for this particular offense is 10 years plus a fine. Along with the indictment came a motion for pretrial detention and hearing stated that there is, quote, a serious risk that the defendant will flee, unquote. It also stated, quote, there is a serious risk that the defendant will obstruct or attempt to obstruct justice or threaten, injure, or intimidate, or attempt to threaten, injure, or intimidate a prospective witness or juror, end quote. Finally, it added, quote, there are no conditions or combination of conditions which will reasonably assure the appearance of the defendant as required and the safety of any other person and the community, end quote. Through back channels, I'd heard from multiple sources that Mark Abbott's home on Spanish Street in Cape Girardeau had been raided. Now, these weren't official sources, but two people with connections. I'm told the house was raided by the Cape Girardeau County Sheriff's Department along with the CMO Drug Task Force. I heard mixed reports about what was found. I heard that drugs were found, and I heard that weapons were found. Obviously, this indictment only mentions a gun. Many of those who heard about this on the Lawless Files Facebook discussion group or on the Facebook page are hoping this arrest might lead to something more on the lawless murder charge. I personally think that's unlikely, but I do believe it indicates that local law enforcement community is listening to the podcast and keeping a close eye on the suspects. I do not believe the AG's cold case unit is anywhere close to wrapping its arms around the evidence in this case. But I'll say this, you never know. There's no shortage of surprises when it comes to this case and the characters involved. The motion for pretrial detention and hearing I just read contains some strong statements about the risk of Mark Abbott fleeing or threatening witnesses. So I thought I'd spend some time in this episode talking about Mark Abbott's criminal past, because he absolutely does have a history of fleeing when awaiting trial. He does have a history of obstructing justice. 
So in this episode, I wanted to review a bit of Mark Abbott's criminal history and some of his actions that support statements listed in the pretrial motion. I'm your host, Bob Miller. You're listening to The Lawless Files. I went around the car to the driver's side and opened up the door, and uh, that's when we saw Michelle. So Mark Abbott a suspect in this killing? No, sir, not in Vietnam said that his friend might have been a policeman or a sheriff or something like that. I didn't take but a split second. I said, huh, that's not Mark. I said, that's Matt. Mark Abbott or Matt Abbott or vampire or friend. Why was that not done? So he's like, hey, man, I saw this murder in the news. They don't know who did it. Let's tell them Josh did it. I don't know. I, I don't know that they weren't. It seemed like pretty much anything was for sale down there. I, I don't know. At the right price. He said, uh, you know, he said, Bill's been in there long enough. You know, he's made enough money. He says, it's about time a younger man gets in there. He said, like you, you can get in there and make some good Paychecks money. from a bullshit They never told. investigated me. They merely put me on trial and told the jury they had. Mark Abbott had his first official legal lapse in 1986. He ran a stop sign in Cape Girardeau, smashed into a car, and then left the scene. He was just 17 years old, but leaving the scene of a crash was considered a felony. I only know about this transgression from the speed bump files I have that list his prior offenses. Like I said, leaving the scene of an accident is a felony. He was given probation. The prosecutor in that case was Kenny Holsoff, who was an assistant prosecutor at the time with Cape Girardeau County. Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code STAPLE20. Five years later, Mark Abbott was charged with his first DWI on February 23, 1991. This was a violation of probation on his felony, and he was sentenced to a suspended imposition of sentence of one year in the county jail and supervised probation for five years, plus 60 days of shock probation and 60 days on an electronic shackle. This arrest was particularly noteworthy not for the initial crime of drinking while driving, but for Mark's devious nature toward Cape Girardeau police officer Barry Hovis. So in that case, Mark Abbott was pulled over, at a fairly busy intersection in Cape Girardeau, the corner of Sprig and Highway 77. Abbott was driving a 1979 Chevy Scottsdale pickup. He'd been speeding. Hovis conducted a traffic stop and then looked him over. He reported that Abbott's eyes were dilated, bloodshot, and glassy. His speech was slurred. He was swaying even in a standing position. The report of the arrest was handwritten and described in a way that you might expect from any DWI report except for one glaring difference. The words at the top of one of the pages read, Matthew Todd Abbott. Mark had given his name as Matt. 
In the report, Hovis wrote, quote, Upon speaking with Abbott, I noticed a strong odor of an alcoholic beverage upon his breath. I then requested he step from his vehicle for some field sobriety test, which Abbott did consent to. I arrested Abbott for DWI and speeding. Unquote. Hovis then searched Abbott's car and found a wallet stuck in between the seat cushions. Hovis pulled out the driver's license that bore the name Mark Thomas Abbott. Mark explained to the officer that the wallet belonged to his twin brother. Hovis, doing his due diligence, called in Reba Abbott to positively identify her drunk son as Mark, not Matt. The twins' blood alcohol concentration was .152, which is nearly twice beyond today's legal limit. Mark Abbott was also charged with making a false report. Remember, this was in 1991, a year before Michelle Lawless's murder. Mark had tried to use his brother's name and likeness to escape trouble with the law. He tried to obstruct justice. This was Mark Abbott's second serious criminal entanglement. By 1991, he had committed two felonies. For that particular crime and incident, his earlier suspended sentence was revoked. He was sentenced to one year in the county jail, given a $1,000 fine placed back on supervised probation. He was ordered by the court to only drive when working or attending Southeast Missouri State University and stay away from the following individuals, Jeremy Floyd, Danny Staggs, Mike Cook, Jimmy Cook, and Matt Bond. Two years later, Mark Abbott was charged for another DWI, this one in Scott County. In fact, it was on March 27, 1993, just a couple of weeks after Josh Keezer's arrest. On November 8, 1994, two years to the day after Michelle Lawless's murder, Mark Abbott made statements to agents with the DEA and the SEMO Drug Task Force. On March 4th of 1996, Mark Abbott pleaded guilty to a Cape Girardeau County misdemeanor of drug paraphernalia. He was originally charged with felony possession of drugs. He was given a 30-day sentence. Four days later, on March 8th, Mark Abbott was arrested for felony drug possession charges at the Fulton Reception and Diagnostic Center. For that, he was eventually sentenced to four years, but not before he had a chance to get involved in the speed bump operation, which was not a state, but a federal case. While awaiting his fate on the felony drug charges stemming from that incident, Mark Abbott was indicted on October 3, 1996 by a federal grand jury along with 11 others. Abbott was accused of buying and distributing somewhere between 4 and 8 pounds of meth. On December 11th, police searched Abbott's residence and garage and found quantities of meth, paraphernalia, including spoons, syringes, and bottles, address books, ingredient notebooks, and chemicals used to manufacture meth. U.S. Magistrate Judge Louis M. Blanton ordered Abbott to be detained on Christmas Eve of 1996. Mark then agreed to cooperate with the government and enter a guilty plea, so he was released on a $25,000 secured bond with pre-trial supervision. Mark Abbott was supposed to reside with his parents, who were to act as third-party custodians, though his mother told the court at the time there was very little they could do to control their adult son. 
Mark Abbott was to wear an electric monitoring device on his ankle and not travel outside the Eastern District of Missouri. All of this is according to court records that I have. Mark Abbott pleaded guilty to the indictment and Judge Catherine D. Perry scheduled Abbott's sentencing for May 19, 1997, which was later pushed back to July 1st at the request of Mark's attorney, Philip Barkett. On May 7th, nearly three months after his guilty plea, the monitoring company advised the court that Abbott's monitor was out of range several times in the early morning hours. Abbott failed to appear at the Gibson Recovery Center for a surprise drug test. All of these were bad signs. On June 14th, Mark Abbott did do a drug test. It tested positive for amphetamine and methamphetamine. On July 1st, the day of Mark Abbott's sentencing, he did not show up to face his sentence. Abbott stood up his attorney and his mother. Judge Perry issued a bench warrant for failure to appear. Some two weeks later, authorities received the lead that Abbott was driving a blue 1987 Ford pickup and was pulling a homemade wooden box trailer en route to Highway AA in Neosho, Missouri. That's in southwest Missouri. That day, five U.S. Marshals began to track Abbott down. Seven hours later, deputies from the Newton County Sheriff's Department found the blue truck and the trailer traveling down Highway AA. The deputy attempted to make a traffic stop, but when he approached the vehicle, two men abandoned the truck and made a run for it. Agents brought in dogs to track the vehicle's occupants. While that was going on, officers searched the truck and trailer and found Mark Abbott's clothing and personal effects, as well as equipment and chemicals needed for manufacturing meth. Two deputies were overcome by fumes from the chemicals and were treated at a hospital. They were sick for days. There was a 20-pound butane tank that was leaking ammonia. A day later, with some help from a confidential informant, deputies discovered where Mark Abbott ran and was hiding. They pulled over a vehicle leaving the location on July 18th and found Mark Abbott hiding in the back seat of the vehicle. He was arrested without incident and sent to the Perry County Jail to await sentencing. It was during this time that Mark Abbott began dishing information to authorities. He asked for Bill Boner and told him that he saw Kevin shoot Michelle Lawless. This is a conversation Abbott now denies having. So ultimately, Mark Abbott ran for 17 days. It would cost him at least 10 years of prison. Mark Abbott was sentenced to 20 years, more than double what he would have received had he not made a run for it. It was four times the prison time that Kevin Williams served. Mark Abbott was also given five years of supervised release. During his sentencing hearing, it was revealed that Kevin Williams was the first to give up Mark Abbott's name and that Mark Abbott supplied money for some of his first buys. Others who included information on Mark Abbott were Jeremy Floyd, Bobby Vozar, Matt Pope, Gary Joe Mason, Charles Rickman, Bruce Renfro, Bill Ritter, and Ray Ring. As I've stated before, everyone ratted on everyone. At one point during his incarceration, Mark Abbott was accused of trying to do personal harm to the judge who sentenced him. That information came from another inmate. Mark Abbott denied that claim, saying the other inmate was only looking for leniency. No charges were filed in that incident. Mark Abbott shows a felony forgery charge in Jefferson County, Missouri from May of 2014. He was sentenced to supervised probation, which was suspended in July of 2015 and then revoked in 2018 when he was arrested in Cape Girardeau County on another drug charge. 
He was given seven years of a suspended execution of sentence and five years supervised probation. He was released in early May of 2019. He completed his probation in December of that year. So what do we make of this federal weapons charge? To be honest, I don't know. I personally don't see it as connected to the lawless case, but that's only an educated guess because I know that the AG's cold case unit is still in its infancy of the investigation. I know that Mark Abbott was interviewed for several hours a few years ago by Paul Boyd, not the prosecutor, but another Paul Boyd who was investigating for the prosecutor's office. It's my understanding that no solid information came from that interrogation. Mark Abbott wrote to Judge Perry about this, complaining that he was subject to such questioning while in prison. He denied involvement in the lawless murder and claimed he was being harassed. The fact that the raid was done in conjunction with the SEMO Drug Task Force leads me to believe that agents had reason to believe they would find drugs in Abbott's house. A judge had to sign off on such a search warrant. Whether they did find drugs remains to be seen. I'm still uncertain why the federal government is involved in this. The search, as I understand it, was done by local and state agencies, not the feds. I have reached out to the federal prosecutor to see if he can shed any light as to why the feds are involved, but I don't expect to get any answers to that. Josh Keezer sent me the following comment when I messaged him about the news on Mark Abbott. He wrote, rather sarcastically, quote, But I thought he was a changed man. I thought he was good now and rehabilitated. Shucks, Bob, I never saw that coming. I'll need time to take this in. Let me drink a cold Corona, sharpen my knives, clean my crossbow, and oil my Glock 43, Canic TB9SFX Blackout, and Keltec KSG 15 plus 1 bullpup 12-gauge pump-action shotgun while I think on it. Do his friends, family, girlfriends, meth cooks, apologists, Amanda Ash and Kevin Zellner know? Someone should inform them. Being as they all follow the Lawless Files discussion group on Facebook, feel free to inform them and share my heartfelt sentiments. Perhaps I should write Mark and send him my condolences for his sudden loss of freedom and right to victimize others. Unquote. The irony of the characters involved in the Michelle Lawless case always seems to come full circle. In 1993, Josh Keezer was accused, falsely, not only of murder, but threatening people with guns he never had in places he never went. Snitches told awful stories about Keezer and what he had done as a member of a gang, stories that weren't true but used to bolster a lie suited for their own purposes. Those accusations were perpetuated by law enforcement and attorneys. Mark Abbott has said he believed those stories. Ultimately, Josh Keezer beat three charges against him, all of which allegedly involved weapons. Now here we have Mark Abbott, a convicted drug dealer and obvious addict who is suspected for the same murder Josh Keezer was convicted of, now facing a weapons charge, which is a crime based on his actual criminal history. It will be a struggle for Abbott to fight these charges because his history of fleeing and obstruction. Ultimately, it will be up to law enforcement to provide credible evidence beyond a reasonable doubt that Abbott did have a weapon in his possession. Unfortunately, because of what we know about this entire case, both the plaintiff and the defendant have credibility issues. The difference now is that the federal government has a strong track record in convicting Mark Abbott. This case is out of a different county, with new people involved. 
The burden of proof lies well beyond the confines of Scott County, Missouri. I'm your host, Bob Miller. You're listening to The Lawless Files. Thank you for listening to The Lawless Files, a production of Leadhound Publishing, LLC. The Lawless Files is hosted and edited by Bob Miller and co-produced by Bob Miller and me, Tyler Grafe. Coming soon on The Lawless Files. In 1965, Virgil Abbott's name made an appearance in the news. The Southern Illinoisan newspaper reported that E.L. Buddy Buddy Harris tried to gouge out the eyes of a coin machine operator named Donald Phillips. Phillips said he and another person were sitting in a small truck when Harris and a man named Lou Rubin, quote, pulled into a no parking zone and jumped out like gangbusters, unquote. Phillips said they were in a two-tone car, and behind them was Virgil Abbott of Cape Girardeau, Missouri, who Phillips said was an employee of Buddy Buddy Enterprises, a coin machine business. So if you're like me, you're probably wondering what's up with the coin machines. Hughes described it this way in her book. The popularity of vending machines in the cities gave Wartman new ideas for ventures as he saw a huge financial market for vending machines in communities around the cities and small towns. He invested heavily in various coin-operated machines, Pennies and nickels provided Wortman with thousands of dollars in revenue when collected on a weekly and monthly basis by his collector George Garner. Add to that the hijacked trucks carrying whiskey and cigarettes and bottled soda, the Garner brothers, Wortman, and Capone made out very well in southern Illinois. End quote. The coin-operated machines include cigarette machines, pinball machines, illegal slot machines, and all sorts of vending machines. They were installed in restaurants, nightclubs, taverns, and stores. The machines provided big revenue for the mafia, 